0: Good morning. It is Wednesday, July 8th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott, and I'm joined right now by Charles Power, 24-7 Sports National College Football Analyst. Charles, you put together a pretty fun piece on the website this morning. A a look at some bizarre uh, to me, plays or or schemes that we believe might spark some innovation on the college football level. So I'm just going to start by asking you, like, how did you possibly whittle this list down to a handful? Cause I imagine there was mass canvassing done of, of game film and, and highlights and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, it was, it was interesting. We were, I guess kind of coming up with the idea for this story. And there was a, a couple that, that came to mind immediately. Um, just ones that I just remembered that you just could couldn't forget from, from watching college football. And I mean, I don't, claim to be an X's and O's expert, but I, I, when you do watch a lot of football, you kind of, you, you pick up on, on weird stuff that you think could, you know, influence, um, you know, future innovation. And, uh, I think with college football, it's kind of like a laboratory with, with, with X's and O's. And it's really kind of where, we, where we've seen the game kind of, um, you know, spawn off of down to high school and then up, up to the NFL. So, uh, it, it can be a little bit of a, an experimenting area. And I think when you watch a lot of college football, you can kind of see that. And I think, you know, just making an effort to, to understand some of that stuff, um, I think makes everybody a, a better viewer or in my case, like a better analyst. If you kind of try to understand where the game's going and understand the coaches that are behind it. And that helps with understanding how the players are used. Um, so it kind of creates a, I guess maybe a, a better big picture understanding of, of the game. So, but well, one thing I found is, I mean, it's, you, you can go down some deep rabbit holes on this stuff and um, it, it's fun and it's interesting. And I think it, it lends credence um, to kind of how sharp a lot of these coaches are now and um, how, how particular they are and, and delicate they are with coming up with uh, their play designs.
0: I'll keep you in the big picture and then we will go down a few of these rabbit holes. I mean, do you think in the last five years, ten years, two years, one year, we've seen like football purists take college football and what these coaches are doing and the things they're trying out, take it a little bit more seriously? I, I mean, I think the best example is Cliff Kings, where he can get fired by Texas Tech and get hired by an NFL team, and his college pupil, Patrick Mahomes um, gets a $500 million contract. I think that just kind of goes to show like people are really taking note of what college teams are doing and it's trickling up to the NFL.
1: Oh, I mean, there's, there's no question about that. Like, um, and, and a lot of it has to do with, with, with situations, but like Patrick Mahomes got drafted in the, maybe the most ideal situation you could have gone to with Andy Reid, who is a pr- very progressive X's and O's coach who, was taking, um, a lot of stuff back from, he was using the Matt Canada shovel pass play that Matt Canada used against Clemson when he was at Pittsburgh. Uh, and I guess that was maybe what, like 2016 or something. So, uh, I, the smart coaches have been doing this for a while, but I think it's so widespread and we've seen so much success at the highest levels doing this. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of become the norm. Whereas in the past, I think you've had coaches, um, who who are maybe very tenured and at top programs or, uh, had the longest resumes kind of being a little more staunch in their ways where I think, um, you know, the, the, there, there's de- you're definitely incentivized to adapt and always try to get better and constantly be tweaking and adding wrinkles, which is kind of, I guess the, the, um,
0: the spirit of kind of the whole story. So the most difficult part of this podcast is us describing plays Yeah, that listeners can't watch, but we have a story up. It's got a cool video component attached, but Charles, like, let's, let's try to navigate that hurdle and do our best. And I'm not going to ask you to, to give me a frame by frame breakdown. of every single one of these plays, I'm not going to ask for that for any of these, but when you look at, when you look at it, let's take a few, A, a few of the plays that, that you've broken down choose a few of your favorites and we'll just go one at a time and tell me like why this is important, what this play could, could mean going forward. And let's like, kind of just try to set the stage a little bit Mm -hmm. um, for the listener.
1: Yeah. So I I think the, the general theme that I I would notice with a lot of the stuff is it's every, everything is created or a lot of ideally you want plays to be created to where you can, um, uh, present a confusing picture to the defense and have counters off of counters basically. C- basically it, essentially to confuse the defense getting going in the wrong direction, stuff like that. Uh, I think the the first when I was coming up with the story, the first play that came to mind is probably because it was in the national championship game was Clemson ran what you would call like a fake mesh. Um, mesh is one of the classic air raid plays. So basically it's you, you know basically, for, for the layman, it's these two two receivers from opposite ends of the field are running a crossing route. And they, they almost like, it could be like a technically like a pick play, if you want to call it that, or a, a rub route. They, I think a lot of teams teach it to where the receivers should be able to give each other a high five as they're running past each other. And it creates some conflicts with the defenders. Um, and there's other components to this, depending on if it's a zone or man defense. But in, in the National Championship game, Clemson ran kind of a fake mesh where they had T Higgins running across, crossing with another receiver. And I, I I don't know if it was a read on his part or not, if it was strictly just designed to do this, but LSU was sitting in a zone coverage and he was basically just going to run into LSU defender. And he, instead of continuing his route uh, opposite of his teammate and going to the other side of the field, he kind of just did like a loop and reversed back and ran almost like parallel to his his teammate the other receiver and was wide open and it was like a 25 yard gain and and really a big play in the game it was i think it set clemson up for a touchdown so um and that that's one where i think a lot of defenses you would see the mesh and just assume these guys are going to keep crossing and that's just a a really kind of ingenious counter to that and i this play had been done before but not in that big of a game at that high of a level i think teams have kind of experimented with it but I mean, if you kind of add like an option route element to where you teach the receiver to make that read, I think it would be really dangerous on like a staple play that teams at almost every level um, run that concept.
0: Is making reads for a receiver pretty elementary? Because we break down and we talk about every single possible trait at every position. And I have never once in my life heard this receiver has the field awareness to make the right read. Is that just at that level, when you get to college football, pretty instinctual?
1: Yeah, I I think it's becoming more and more so um, of a thing. Like, you know, I I think it's like an
0: important thing or like an, yeah, I think that's just baked in. uh,
1: I think it's becoming more important. You're definitely seeing that more in, in offenses. Um, I, I think in an effort for teams to maybe take some, uh, off the quarterback's plate a little bit and maybe compared to like a more rigid, like if you're talking like a pure West coast offense, where the timing is down to the step now with the way a lot of offenses are, you have like certain iterations of the air raid or just pass happy offenses where you can rep this a lot in practice. You can kind of, um, enforce that with the receiver and it's just not, it's not as rigid and it allows to kind of, um, like a creativity component and, uh, I think for certain players, it definitely is is better, um, and I, I know certain offensive coaches definitely uh, prioritize that when they're recruiting or evaluating players um, at, at the receiver position. So I think it's something we've seen more and more so um, in the last like probably ten years.
0: The College Football Daily will be right back.
1: Kind of going going off this, I, I think in in general, we're going to see this a lot in the slot in NFL. I think the Eagles are going to use two quarterbacks, two quarterbacks at once, and we saw they, they drafted Jalen Hur- Jalen Hurts in the second round. And this is probably more of a bigger trend than an actual Mac, like a, a boiled down play. But we we saw Sean Gleason, who's the current offensive coordinator at Rutgers, employ a three quarterback offense at Princeton back then, and it was seen as completely like funky, wild. And then we've seen this kind of take off in the NFL with with two quarterbacks in the field. We actually saw Lincoln Riley do this. The play that probably sticks out to me, Lincoln Riley in the overtime of, or I think maybe going into overtime of the uh, Rose Bowl uh, semifinal game against Georgia, put Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield in the backfield together and used Kyler Murray, like pitch the ball to Kyler Murray. Um, and, and We've seen this a good bit, but I think putting two quarterbacks in the field is 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 going to be uh, kind of a trend. Uh, we saw that with Taysom Hill and Andrew Brees. Um, I, I think another one, uh, th- that I think you're, you're, you're seeing a lot and I think it's a, just a smart way. It kind of just builds into the smart way that coaches are using their quarterbacks was, was the bash read concept. And it's one that I really didn't know a lot about, um, before I started this. So it was kind of like a learning experience for me as well, but just kind of perusing, you know, Twitter and, and reading, um, some stories about, uh, kind of where the game's going. The the bash read kind of exemplifies a lot of these trends where, and and I think I I used Ryan Day as as a really good example for this. Um, He used this concept to kind of unlock Justin Fields, and uh, Justin Fields being a lot more mobile than Dwayne Haskins, he kind of had to spruce up his offense a little bit and play to Justin Fields' strength as as a runner. Uh, So that that obviously is something you want to see in in a coach. Um, But uh, it's basically... It looks like a zone read, and it's a sweep action where your your running back kind of runs out wide. The quarterback is uh, like a zone read is you know he can hand the ball to the, to the running back or keep it. He's reading the defensive end, and the the main difference here is is you can run this iteration uh, of of this kind of read with uh, multiple blocking schemes, and that's kind of what we're seeing is a lot of creativity with how teams are using. Blocking in their offensive line, so I, I think adding that wrinkle in, and you can run this. It's so versatile. You can run this with receivers. You can you see it on speed sweep. So it's not just a running back, and that's really something that I think Brian Day was smart about implementing this into his office. It was really a perfect fit for Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins, and you better believe that the Ravens are going to use this with J.K. Dobbins um, and, and Lamar Jackson. So I, I think that is just like a really good example of taking a concept, fitting it to your players, and it's a concept that you can run in almost any look. And that's just kind of the, like, the, I think the way, like the, the overall thing I, I kind of took away from this is teams are really creative and, and they tinker with the plays almost like like on a level, it's almost kind of like football origami, but they're, but they're so versatile that you can run it out of any kind of look. Uh, and it just uses the, the talent really well. So I, I thought that was... Uh, an interesting thing that, that I didn't really know about beforehand. And, you know, I like if you ask me what kind of offense Ryan Day runs, I don't even know if I could describe it, but I thought it was a good example of kind of your modern day offensive coach being versatile and adaptable.
0: That That is interesting. You say the Ryan Day thing, you're not sure like who, how you would describe his offense. His predecessor, Urban Meyer, like we all sort of know what that looked like. Feels like yeah. more college football coaches are, are just totally, totally uh, adapting and being you know, pretty pretty cha- interchangeable. Like Lincoln Riley, Charles, mm-hmm. is that is that that's not strictly the air rate, is it?
1: Yeah, it's it. I think w- like when Lincoln Riley, if you look at the offense Lincoln Riley was running at East Carolina, uh, compared to what he was he's running now at, at Oklahoma, it, it's pretty different. And I, I think he got to Oklahoma and realized, hey, like we don't need to be running this pure air raid where we're throwing the ball 60 times a game. Now we have really good offensive linemen. We have running backs. Um, you know, when he, when he got there, you know, they, they had a, a stable of, of running backs. Right. Um, and so I think it was, it was really kind of fusing the air raid passing game, the air raid concepts. He runs mesh. He runs all those basic air raid staples, but they added um, a, a really, he and Bill Bow, their offensive coordinator, offensive line coach added a lot of, wrinkles and really kind of made this like really interesting alloy of a power run offense with an air raid um, passing game and I think that is kind of what we're seeing now And Lincoln Riley he has counters off of everything there's there's different fakes and he's always kind of tweaking and that's kind of a general trend we've seen with this whereas 10 years ago it was really more college football is really system-based right you had your Mike Leach types who are running Basically, the same play in a different, like, or a million different formations, or or Chip Kelly, Gus Malzahn, they were running like some base plays out of different looks and being creative with it on that front. But it was basically kind of simple, right? Whereas, whereas now, you're this next generation, they're taking those systems and really fine tuning them and tweaking them on like a more like molecular basis. That's something Cliff Kingsbury does is what you see with Lincoln Riley. It's just kind of the next generation of coaches. I think Kyle Shanahan would be the the great example for that. Um, in the NFL, he kind of took what his dad did and um, that, that West coast zone read hybrid. And he's running a bunch of crazy stuff off of that, even working in like some option football. So I think it's, you have a lot of guys who are kind of just nerding out and, Uh, going back and finding old concepts and and adding them into um, kind of a base system.
0: You talk about this new age of nerds and guys morphing. How are the innovative forefathers doing? You mentioned Mike Leach. You mentioned Chip Kelly. Like I don't know if Malzahn's a a forefather of innovation, but absolutely his roots as a a high school football coach and, and, and what he did as an offensive coordinator at Auburn with Cam Newton, that still has resonated you know, with his, with his current system and and really why he still has a job, but are those guys adapting or, or or has the game, I don't want to say pass them by, but is this a young, a young guys or a young brains game right now?
1: I definitely think it's a young brains game. Um, but you know, those coaches, I think they still bring a lot to the table from an experience standpoint. And there is something to be said about just sticking to your guns and, Running what you run. Uh, I think we've seen it can kind of create a little bit of a ceiling at, at times. I think we saw this, you know, Mike Leach, there's no doubt he was a success story at Washington State. But every year, and he made the most of, of the talent they had. There's no doubt about that. He maximized what they had. But every year when they would run into Washington, mm-hmm. it, it was it was pretty ugly. And he and Jimmy Lake was not bashful in saying, We know what they're running and we have an answer for it, and he's not adjusting. Um so so that's I think maybe a good example of kind of the the next iteration of of younger um coaches are probably a little more adaptable and uh, anything in general I think you, you see almost in any field, um evolution and the ability to adapt are, are almost always kind of valued, especially like in a competitive environment. So um that's something you see with like a guy like, like Bill Belichick is always always evolving, always changing. Um and I mean even like Nick Saban, I think you could say did that. He their offense looks very different than, than it did um, you know, five or six years ago. So I think the coaches who do that, who show that ability probably have the
0: most staying power. And I can kind of sense that Sabin and Belichick relish the opportunity to evolve and to, to right. challenge themselves and take on Cam Newton or totally shift their offense. I mean, Saban's changed his defense. He's changed his offense. He's done all of that. Uh, I think that's a hallmark of greatness. No doubt. No doubt. And I, I think when you,
1: when you win at that high of a level, you, you're kind of almost competing against yourself. So I, I think having that, being able to take that internal challenge um, when when a lot of the external stuff might, you know, get old, uh, is definitely probably the the best way to do it.
0: All right, so I'm going to send you out with this. We've we've talked now at length about offensive innovation and and offensive plays, and and that's what the article entails if you were going against Charles, if you were going against Lincoln Riley for a game or Ryan day, which defensive coordinator in college football or defensive mind, um, would you, would you ask to help guide you in your game planning process? You can say Saban if you want. Yeah. It would probably be more fun if you gave me a different name though.
1: Yeah. I'll I'll give you, I I can give you a couple. I I think,
0: I think you want,
1: I would, in that situation, I would want a defensive coach who coaches defense like an offense, who tries to be an aggressor. Um, I First name that pops up is, is Brent Venables, right? Like Brent Venables is running these crazy, exotic, funky blitzes. I think you we, what he did with Clemson's defense this year was really interesting. Um, they did not have a very good defensive line relative to their past teams, and he had to basically just, you know blitz his ass off like he had to do all this crazy stuff and i I had a lot of fun watching clemson play defense this year not even from the fact that they were traditionally as as just blunt force dominant as they were uh in the past but they were taking really i mean like they were blitzing like jamie skalski uh in every gap possible and I, i don't think anybody's gonna mistake jamie skalski for uh isaiah simmons from like an athletic standpoint so I, I really enjoyed watching that. I mean, I think Gary Patterson has been like that for a while. He runs his defense like an offense. They're they're pretty adaptable, and I think he has shown that he can um, at least slow down some of the Lincoln Riley attacks, maybe more so than others. Um, John Heacock, who was at Iowa State, kind of was on the front end of um, kind of com- of coming up with. You know the 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 new iteration of kind of the, the the three three five. Um, they put some tweaks on that, and they really kind of scrapped their defense in the middle of the season, and that led to their their win over Oklahoma. Um, went back when Baker Mayfield was a quarterback when when they had that upset. Um, so so those would be some guys who I think are on the on the front end. I mean, Dave Aranda has done a good job. Um, but I, I think any the, the the coaches who can prove to be an aggressor in that situation and at least. Slow down, because I think if you kind of if you come at this with the approach of we're just gonna, you know, uh, sit back and and make them dink and dunk and beat us. Offenses are good enough to do that now, so you have to almost make your own splash plays on defense. And I think those coaches do a pretty good job of that.
0: All right, good stuff, Charles. Appreciate you joining us. That's gonna do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, please leave us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. This this whole content idea started with someone. In the review section, asking who are college football's best innovators. So, you know, leave us, leave us a review with, with what you'd like for us to talk about, and we'll try to get to it. Uh, for Charles, for our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Trey Scott, and we'll talk to you all on Thursday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.